Mark. How are you? Hi, me too. I'm okay. I'm getting ready for another school year, but I'm carrying on. Oh, goodness. At, at least we have less COVID. I, I was going to say at least we're COVID free, but we're so not COVID free. But we 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 have slightly lower risk from COVID and a significantly higher risk from people utterly failing to take any precautions over COVID. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about a topic that maybe I've dragooned you into it. I I hope you won't say that, um, but. It's one that has puzzled me on multiple counts. So I'm just going to throw out uh, the reasons why uh, this has puzzled me. And then you can shoot them down or maybe you'll indulge me and uh, we can talk about them a little bit. So I dragged you into this today because I am fascinated by the Ukrainian GDP warrant saga, one that potentially has not ended yet. But recently, I think maybe now, you know, it's a couple of weeks ago, uh, give or take, these GDP warrants went through an exchange offer where the terms were altered in quite important and significant ways to Ukraine's uh, benefit. Now, that's the um, pricey. Here are the three things about it that have puzzled me for some time, and I've been wanting an excuse to talk about them. So first, the first one goes back to 2021. Around mid-2021, there was an investment report that JP Morgan put out. I, I think it came from our friend Trang, who's been on uh, our podcast. And that investment report said that these GDP warrants that Ukraine had given investors in their restructuring in 2016 were potentially undervalued by a huge amount. I think they estimated the value at 263 uh, and the market value of the GDP warrants was 113. So, I mean, more, more than double of the value on the market is what they estimated. So that that's just, that's just shocking because it suggests that the market had no clue about the true value of these GDP warrants and in a highly sophisticated market that we imagine this market to be, that just should not happen. And uh, I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I think the after the, the JP Morgan report came out, the, the market uh, reacted to it and the price went up at least a bit, something where people could have made a lot of money. So one, that was strange, suggesting that these weird creatures, uh, the market is not paying that much attention to. Second, you know, I, I've had this obsession with uh, contractual howlers or landmines, uh, the, the just goofs in contracts. And I bothered you about that multiple times. And 
while I was interviewing uh, practitioners in the market about this, one of the howlers that people pointed me to was the Ukrainian GDP warrant. And specifically, a couple of people noted the lack of a cap in the GDP warrant. Again, I didn't pay much attention to it then. This must have been a, been a couple of years ago. I didn't pay much attention to it uh, in in part because I was mostly focused on sovereign bond contracts and GDP warrants. They, they're just they're just weird. So didn't pay attention to that. And then third, in the recent restructuring, the one that happened a couple of weeks ago, once the market realized that this GDP warrant without a cap could be very valuable, especially in the context of all of the rebuilding that is sure to happen in Ukraine and all of the growth that is sure to happen with heavy European and American investment in a post-war scenario, I would have thought that investors would have refused to restructure and cap the GDP warrants, because one of the things that was being asked for in the restructuring was a cap for the GDP warrants, or in effect a cap. But yet, investors agreed. Like There was really not a big dissenting holdout population. So all three of those things puzzle me. But there's been very little reporting about this in the press. Uh, as I mentioned, the investors agreed to the deal. So maybe I'm just, maybe I'm making something out of nothing. So Mark, should we end the podcast now? Or are you going to tell me that there's something we could talk about? Oh, we don't need to end it now. I, I wouldn't say you dragooned me into this, but I, I will confess that I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, our friend Chelsea Delaney at the Wall Street Journal recently on their blog had talked about it, I think, if my memory serves me right. And then you kind of brought it to my attention. And I agree with you that there's just a lot that that I at least don't understand about this story. And maybe maybe we can just talk about the the contract and the, the puzzling feature that it doesn't have a cap first. And in fact, it um, might not be accurate to say that it doesn't have any cap. Because as I, as I understand it, there is a cap that expired in 2025, I think. It was something like 1% of GDP was a cap. So the, the lack of a cap after that kind of has to be intentional. And then if you look at the, the payment structure, once GDP growth gets above two to 3%, the payments are kind of extraordinary. I mean, I think for growth above 4%, it's what 40% of the value of GDP growth goes to the holders of these things. I guess one of maybe a good place to start is for me just to ask you whether you've ever seen such a thing. I mean, even before the war, if I remember the, the IMF projections that were made in connection with the restructuring uh, that produced these warrants, maybe the IMF projected 4% growth, and that was always a little 
you know, maybe it was a little unrealistic and a little high as the fun tends to be, but there had to be some pretty reasonable scenarios where growth would exceed 4% and to be uncapped at, at 40% of value, that, that strikes me as insane. Have you ever seen something like this? I haven't. You know, the GDP warrants are sort of this newfangled instruments and instrument, and we we talked about it with Vladimir on a prior podcast, but how the Argentine ones have been nothing but a headache. But I have never seen an uncapped GDP warrant. Plus, as you said, this has a huge potential payout, even without the Russian invasion and the giant rebuilding task that is going to happen. Although, you know, in 2016, that Russia would come back to Ukraine was, I'd argue, quite foreseeable. Uh, that that it, it's, it certainly was not unforeseeable. But this, this bit where the contract says, if the growth is between three and 4%, the holders of the GDP warrants get 15% of that GDP growth, which is already, I think that they, the one payment that they made in 2019 already was tens of millions of dollars. I think it was over 40 million. And this is the low bit. And then if yeah, it's gotta, over- That's gotta like exceed whatever tax revenues the government would get off that that GDP growth, right? I mean, we're okay. already at 15%. Yeah. So like, they, I wonder, so I think that maybe the cap, the lack of the cap was not a goof and was intended. If so, the people who negotiated it just really pulled the rug out from under the Ukrainians. Uh, I mean, can, like, I, can I, like, is it even possible? So fine, it's only growth above 4% is 40% of the value of GDP growth above the 4%. So fair enough. But like, I would question the government's capacity even to raise the revenue at that point, right? I, I So I this is what I'm convinced of. Of course, there's nobody will ever tell us. I'm convinced what they should have said and what they meant to say was that it was 15%, even in a crappy deal, of the revenue that they get, not 15% of GDP growth. 15% of GDP growth is completely different from 15% of the revenues because if I'm, you know, we're not economists, we don't study GDP, but my understanding is that you're not gonna get more than 15 to 20% of the GDP in terms of government revenues anyway, like were they really promising basically, you know, all of their, all of their revenues? Like, I, I mean, that's, that's what it looks, I mean, it's GDP is defined as Ukraine's gross domestic product at current prices as published in the World Economic Outlook. I mean, they're, they're not publishing the government's cut, <laughs> revenue cut of GDP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I, it, it's really, is bizarre. Now, through the grapevine, I've heard two contradictory things. One thing I've heard is that this was indeed what was negotiated for. There, It was bargained for, and one person who I, I couldn't resist saying 
like how the hell could you argue could you negotiate for something so crappy their response was well it had to be done really quickly now i think that person was not actually in the room when the negotiations happened but we've heard from other sources that this 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 is what they thought they were trying to get a deal done quickly and the imf was insisting that investors take a significant haircut and in exchange for those investors taking the haircut they negotiated this really clever uh gdp warrant and now end result they're going to get all of that haircut back i don't know Not, neither of these stories is entirely satisfactory to me and i guess maybe that's a maybe this is a useful point to talk about both the the JP Morgan report that seemed to prompt a bunch of press attention in if i remember late spring or something like that 2021 and the market reaction to that because if this was some kind of intentional deal even if it was unintentional if this was how people kind of understood the deal it's a little hard to figure out for me why it could have been priced at less than half of its uh, estimated value by by JP Morgan but then you know so you're right that the prices jumped after that JP Morgan report yeah. but they jumped by by 3 cents so from 113 to 116 and yes you could make a lot of money with a 3% instantaneous jump or a little under 3% 3 cents on you know what was already over 100 but that's hardly I don't know if it was clear that these warrants were going to pay out anywhere near like what that estimate was. That jump also seems kind of small to me, right? Like I just find I find the market movement so confusing here too. Yeah, and it's it's not just that. You know, once the war breaks out, this most recent war, and the market downgrades Ukrainian securities, I think the Ukrainian securities are, were trading at, you know, were and are trading at around, you know, 20, 25 cents on the dollar. If, if memory serves, although maybe somebody will correct us, the GDP warrants also dropped massively. And I would have thought that the discount on the GDP warrants, given that they were based on future growth and future growth was likely to be quite high would be significantly different. Like one, the bonds should go down dramatically. I understand that. But the GDP warrants should go up massively. And that's not what happened. Not only that, that's not what happened in terms of the market prices. So it was as if they forgot the JP Morgan memo. They forgot that these instruments are going in different directions. But then they also agreed to restructure them and, in effect, put in place caps. Yeah, as I understand the restructuring that happened uh, within the last couple of weeks, probably by the time this episode comes out, and you can tell me if I'm missing something. So basically, there's a, a couple of year deferral of payments, which find that that's, that's some temporary relief for the Ukrainians, but doesn't change 
the structural problem that the, these warrants create. But what was added is a basically a call right that didn't exist before, right? Is, am I getting that right? So the, the government yes, can so now call them as- I, I was just going to say, I think pretty much the same thing you, you were saying, which was the, the government has a three-year period within which it can pay the haircut that the bondholders were asked to take. If you give them back their 20% haircut that they took in 2016, you get to get back the warrants. I, I think that's that's the deal. And then there was a cap, like the cap that was already in place for the 20, 2021 to 2025 uh for one year, the cap was reduced, the one year before the call option comes into place. So this seems like we're just going backwards, kind of unwinding the restructuring that happened, right? Oh, definitely, yes. I mean, so th there was a restructuring that happened in 2016 where Ukraine uh, desperately had to bargain for, bargain hard to get some reduction. And remember, Franklin Templeton was um, proved to be really hard to negotiate against back then. And uh, we all thought that Ukraine didn't get a great deal. Uh, turns out Franklin Templeton, I, I don't know if they're still holding this, but they made a great bargain, especially if they're the ones who negotiated for this uh, GDP warrant. But what we're seeing now is whatever haircut they managed to get, they've just completely had to give it back in order to fix these crappy GDP warrants. Like that, this is, I mean, it, this is kind of horrible from the Ukrainian perspective, like that that's the big thing that they've gotten is that they've just, you know, they've given back everything they got then and didn't really get much more now. So I'm kind of wondering, one way to view this is, because one of the three puzzles you started us with is, at least as I understood it, is why would investors holding these things, why would investors agree to any kind of uh, restructuring of the terms given the, the sweet deal they got uh, with respect to, to these payments? So um, here's the thing that, that puzzles me then, I guess, is like I'm trying to figure out whether Ukraine kind of gave up the store here in this restructuring. And... You know, maybe we should view this as a really sweet deal for the warrant holders, since you know, basically, as I understand it, they're likely to have their pre twenty, you know, the the restructuring at the at the you know the twenty teens. They're likely to have their claims reinstated. That sounds kind of sweet. On the other hand, does everybody hold the warrants? I am embarrassed to say that I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. Because if I, everybody holds them, then people are just going to have big nominal claims. But like, I don't know, who cares? I don't think so. My understanding, and again, this shows our uh, lack of understanding of the details. But for anybody who's listening, we did try. We have tried to figure them out. Uh, my understanding is that the warrants were separable. Like, so they traded separately. You. You might have gotten them in the bond restructuring, but as with the other warrants that have been issued recently, you could separate them and there's a separate market for them. And indeed, the expectation usually is that 
the type of investor looking for warrants is different than the traditional fixed income government securities mm-hmm. investor who doesn't want an equity type instrument and so is is going to sell it right away so i would have thought that the warrants would have migrated to the the types of entities that like a lot of risk and the bonds would have migrated to uh, the traditional fixed income real money uh, type institutions and that the holders of the warrants would be really smart and realize the big upside they could get and wouldn't agree to the deal. So, I mean, but this is the interesting question then that that it poses because that that story you're telling makes a lot of sense to me. And and you're we certainly know that the warrants were separable. At least that is I am I am. I have a high degree of confidence that I don't think is misplaced about that. But, um, you know, so why would uh, Aurelius, you know, I, I don't have any concrete or certainly no direct information about holdings, but certainly Scuttlebutt was that people like Aurelius had not blocking positions on their own, but reasonably sizable positions, you know, maybe high single digits or something like that. Why would they not just stick to their guns here? I I don't know. Maybe they did, and maybe they just like the one one aspect of the story is that it is it is a rare it, it could be a one of those rare instances where the sovereign outfoxes the high end hedge fund like Aurelius or Elliot, or maybe they just the the deal that was given to them was so good, although I don't see how, uh, that they just decided to cave. It, we don't even, I mean, I, we've read a couple of press accounts or maybe just one that hinted that Aurelius was a holder. And one, one source even told me they had a blocking position. I think that has got to be wrong, that they had a blocking position. I think more likely, uh, they were not able to buy a blocking position or whoever it was who was dissenting was not able to buy a blocking position fast enough, perhaps because they didn't want to tell everybody else how valuable these things were. So the, the, the sort of attempt to balance secrecy and not give away the information and get enough people to block went those two interests went in opposite directions. That alone is a really weird story that says something weird about the market, because how could it have been a secret when, like, there are mainstream financial press outlets talking about this back in 2021. Like, who, who is this a secret to these days? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, you're pushing me towards saying maybe the markets are really inefficient with some an obscure instrument like this, but well, they could be really, really heartwarmingly public spirited too. Maybe and they oh, come on. wanted oh, come to on. facilitate <laughs> the rehabilitation of Ukraine. Don't you take that possibility seriously? <laughs> oh, 
I don't think these people have a heart. I don't think they give gave two rats ass about the 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 reconstruction of Ukraine. I mean, it, they they did care about the reconstruction of Ukraine. I suspect to the extent it pays them out m more money, uh, but. I mean, we did the calculation, the back of the envelope calculation on what these GDP warrants could pay out. And it was in the billions. It's like that. This is a lot of money to put leave on the table. This is not like, you know, giving up a few million to, you know, grow tr more trees or to save the coral reefs in Belize. This is maybe we're talking billions, not millions. I, I don't think any of these people give that up. Maybe to link it back to what we were saying earlier when we were questioning Ukraine's ability ever to make the payments that would seem to be required in a high growth scenario. So let me, I'll give you two possibilities. I, I, don't, I don't know how seriously we should take either one of them. But one is the thinking is since they're never going to pay in the high growth scenario, there's going to have to be some accommodation made, some settlement reached to sort of rationalize these things. And so maybe now's as good a time as any to do that. So that's scenario one. I don't know that I believe it, but if you start from the proposition that nobody believes these warrants are ever going to be paid in accordance with their terms in a high growth scenario, then maybe, maybe some of this starts to make a bit more sense. The other scenario, which I, it's really so, Mark, question. can I just clarify? Are you saying that, like, are, are you saying they just would never get paid, or is just Ukraine's yeah. not going to grow? I'm saying in the, in a scenario where there's six percent GDP growth, Ukraine is going to look at them and be like, "Well, we can't pay you forty percent of two percent of GDP, <laughs> oh, okay. right?" So, like, you, you never really <laughs> and, and, so no, no, but Let's money. play this out because I think this is really interesting. I have heard this story too, and I, I so like, but what would so there would be a lawsuit then, right? The investors would sue. I mean, Aurelius has no shame about suing. You know, people from Aurelius are probably going to sue us for defamation. Hypothetically, Aurelius, we don't even know if they're the holder, uh, even though it was suggested in some press articles. We're just using them as a placeholder. But they would sue if they are entitled to $5 billion and you're like, oh, we, we didn't read our contract very carefully or we 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 didn't realize we would grow so much uh it's like the friends like, revisited for argentina yes like, they, exactly we would we should have matt levine and talk about those friends like they would they would win they would sue and they would win because this is what the contract says it's so damn clear it's not like some some zero that was left off the calculation or uh but some maybe, word that was collect and in the high growth scenario, at least now, you know that that's going to be because there's massive European and US support going in. And if, you know, we learn anything from places like Iraq, it's that the Europeans and the Americans are not going to dump a bunch of reconstruction money into Ukraine with one hand, and then with the other hand, let a bunch of hedgies come and seize all of Ukraine's you know, export earnings, for instance, that the, you know, the country is going to need to carry out the, re the rehabilitation plan and to repay these, you know, these donor countries, right? So maybe so, the idea is like, collection is going to be really, really hard in this high growth scenario. So this, if this is true, this is fascinating, because it, it tells us that there is 
even for heartless hedgies. Okay, that could be the title of an article, heartless hedgies. Uh, even for them, there is a political calculation that is made about how bad they can be. And they are calculating here that they're going to make so much money off of these that they're going to lose. Like it, 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 they're going to make so much money uh, that it will be viewed as so ugly that somehow they'll lose, even though they would have a really solid contract claim. So you, I can put it differently, I think, which is that maybe there's a use some Latin words or something like no, 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 it's a loquitor or something, something legalese uh, about you're making too much money off the backs of starving Ukrainians or something. That's not the point. The point is that in this, so your your ability to collect your judgment depends on your ability to disrupt Ukraine's exports. That's just kind of how it works, right? It's the exports that generate the assets that you can seize. So maybe the high growth scenario exists only because donor countries, powerful donor countries are pumping money into Ukraine. If we're not in the high growth scenario, you have no reason to care about any of this. So with a high growth scenario, you've got these donor countries pumping money into Ukraine. They are not going to do that and let a bunch of creditors run around seizing Ukrainian export earnings. That's just not going to be tolerated. That's the bet. Uh-huh. I don't so know you're sort whether of... I think that's true, but I, that's, that strikes me as a not totally implausible scenario. It's not. It's not. Okay, now you, you put it. Well, I mean, that, that isn't that kind of what happened with Iraq. That's exactly right? what that, happened with Iraq. Ah, uh, so. So, so I'm that, looking at my claim now and I'm like, oh man, I could get a $40 billion judgment against these Ukrainians. That's beautiful. But I'm not going to have the pool of assets that I would normally have to target as a means of enforcing that claim. Okay. All right. So you're. But do you think Ukraine's this... grain exports are going to, the US government is going to let creditors go to, I mean, Ukraine doesn't export grain to the US, I assume, but whatever. You think the US and the Europeans are going to let export revenues from grain exports get attached by some Connecticut hedge fund? Yeah. Okay. I, I think, I think this, this, this is actually kind of plausible. I mean, it, it, it requires us thinking that the 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 heartless hedgies are very sophisticated in terms of their political economy calculations, and you know, and given that they're all aged like twenty five and under, most of them probably don't even remember the Iraq restructuring. So that that do that... know that part of what they do is political. Certainly, um, many of the holdouts who spent years and years chasing Argentina. Also, they had lobbying entities that they were using. They sought legislative changes that would support them. I mean, they were active in the political and and public opinion environment as well as in in court. Okay, so let's go to your second. You had had an alternate hypothesis other than really smart political calculation. 
So this isn't even so much a hypothesis. It's just something I wanted to ask you because you know so much more about this than I do. So <laughs> no, you you do the post in the high growth scenario, which I'm defining as like, the only plausible scenario. Really, is post conflict when there's a bunch of reconstruction money being pumped in, and I am betting that in that scenario, Ukraine is not the same geographical entity that it was at the start of the conflict. So what the hell is the GDP? Is it the same? Is it the GDP of the new physical territory, the smaller physical territory that I think maybe we should expect Ukraine to have post-conflict? Do they have an argument that Yeah, but GDP under the contracts was GDP of this much, much larger area, including a bunch of places that probably are going to have pretty low growth because they're going to be they're going to be subject to Russian control and who knows how much money is going to get pumped into them. Does my question make sense? It's like, what the hell is Ukraine's GDP when it's the same, when it's a different territory than it was at the time of these contracts? So that's a really good question in the sense of very hard, but it takes us to another level of heartless, hedgy sophistication. So as I understand it, the the question is one of the law of state succession. And we're asking, what is the Ukraine that will exist after Russia chops off, say, 30% of Ukraine and now calls it new Russia or liberated Russia or something like that. So are we going to be estimating GDP for Ukraine as the remaining Ukraine that Russia hasn't eaten yet? Or is it all of the territory that was Ukraine at the time of the 2016 restructuring. I think there is a pretty good argument as a matter of the law of state succession, a law that I don't know very well, uh, but there's a pretty good argument that it is the Ukraine at the time of the 2016 restructuring, which would then say that part of it is Russia's responsibility, but those Russian areas are really not likely to grow anywhere near as fast because uh, there will still be sanctions and you know. And this is the argument that is that works for Ukraine. Like this is what Ukraine would want to argue. Yes, but I just don't see it as ever being the case that Ukraine would acknowledge that that stuff is now Russian. Think they're gonna they're gonna say no we are we are the old Ukraine and we'll take responsibility for everything but they don't need to acknowledge it all they need to do is say the economic growth or lack thereof of that territory that land is part of the calculation they would say that is Ukraine right it's 
it was Ukraine in 2016. It's Ukraine now, notwithstanding that it's temporarily subject to Russian control. And we need to, of course, we don't have very good data on GDP growth for that territory, <laughs> but we're confident it's not very good. And the negative Oh, I GDP see your growth. argument. Okay. Okay. That's very clever. Okay. That, that's, I, I, oh, you're, you're, as usual, you're two steps ahead of me. So Ukraine will say, yeah, we're growing really well, but um, the other parts of our country that, that somebody else is temporarily running called Mr. Putin, uh, they're not growing at all. So if you even things Average out, we out. haven't yeah. grown at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, legally, that's completely plausible. Legally, that's probably right. But, um, you know, is that the way this is going to play out? But maybe, maybe if I'm a hedge fund manager and I'm holding this, I'm thinking, like, this is just too complicated. I don't want to be dealing with this. If I can negotiate for a a payment that I would get in a couple of years where there's likely to be money in the till to pay me off. That's just a much better deal. And I, I think that in the consent solicitation that just happened, they, they did get some, they did get some goodies that were going to accrue quite soon. So, so maybe, maybe that, maybe. Yeah. That seems again with the, the confession that, until recently, I didn't pay any attention to this at all. It seems like that has to be this scenario. Maybe there are just so many uncertainties associated with holding these things that if you get a promise of a pretty nice payout and you're confident that the money will be there to make it, maybe that's the, the answer to puzzle three, why, why Ukraine was able to... to get pretty high participation, really high post over 90% participation uh, and consent to the, the restructuring of these warrants. So who knows? Who knows? We have had an entire episode of questions that we have posed to which we are not sure of the answers. So maybe some of our listeners who actually know what happened and why it happened will tell us. But I also have to say, I found it very interesting that there was very little press coverage of these, of the GDP warrant aspect of this deal. Very, very little. I, 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 I mean, I'm not surprised that JP Morgan didn't put out anything on this because they were involved in the deal. So maybe they, they couldn't put out anything, mm -hmm. but I thought that our friends at the financial times and other major news outlets, I mean, Chelsea did do a small piece about this in the wall street journal and uh, Corinne uh, had a small piece in Reuters. I don't think Bloomberg had very much on this, but th this struck me as a, huge story now that they must have had some reason for sort of thinking uh, maybe this is not so big and then everybody agreed so. to it anyway so yeah i think maybe it was happening quickly enough that once once the deal went through once the consent solicitation got enough support maybe 
of people lost a little bit of interest. But you know, it's just it's a reminder of the the booby traps that are out there lurking in a lot of these these bonds and or in this case not a bond but you you take my meaning and you know it's like we could discover them almost every time there's a there's a restructuring it's like there's at least one instrument out there that's going to pay some disproportionate amount and this was a big one but i wonder how many of these these kinds of extraordinary uh, maybe mistaken maybe intentional uh, these kinds of extraordinary securities there really are out there they're there we should have learned this lesson from the friends i mean oh. that that did that i immediately thought about the friends when i saw this uncapped gdp warrant i think mm-hmm. it's, it's literally it's paying you something like 100 times what you would expect it to pay you <laughs> that is not and no court is going to say it's unconscionable because they're like you had the most expensive lawyers negotiating this you probably had like lazard or rothschilds or some other really expensive bank helping you negotiate it i mean you just that it's not the kind of thing a court is going to excuse you for. But your oh, story yeah. about how the you know, like you're unlikely to get the US and the EU to be giving to to be allowing the money that they are putting in for reconstruction to be taken uh, to fund some giant new mansion in Connecticut. I mean, that strikes me as much more plausible. Well, me too. We are. um nearing the end maybe we should wrap i'm looking forward to the next one yes i am as well and i'm looking forward to the next uh giant goof that we find on these we we don't buy these securities ourselves so there's no monetary value to us uh, identifying them or in this case just realizing that some people had identified them yet other people were not paying attention to it yeah it's always so strange thanks me too (laughs) thank you thanks for indulging me (laughs) 